Well, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 through 11 today. As we get ready to study God's word together about being comforted to comfort. Comforted to comfort. And again, that's from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. If you found that place in your Bible, would you stand with me so that we can honor God's word together as we read it? The inerrant, infallible word of God says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we are able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers in our suffering, so also you are sharers in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia. That's the Roman province of Asia, not like China and places like that. That we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, the sentence of death was within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope, and he will yet deliver us. You also joining us and joining in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Church family, the the grass withers and and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever and let's thank God for it father thank you so much for your word we confess to you that we need it like a dry land needs water and so father now would you open our eyes would you would you have us to behold the beauty of your word would you give us boldness to speak your word without fear without shame Father, in all of this, that our glory would not be in ourselves. But, Father, that our glory and our hope and our trust would be in you and in you alone. And so now, Lord, would you work in us for your glory. Work in us through your word and and by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it it dawned on me, as I've been preparing for this, that we have been on a roll with really encouraging topics for sermons. Uh, we've talked about uh, difficulty in marriage. We've talked about giving. That'll bless you, right? That's, that's bright, cheery things to talk about. And today, I got more for you, church. We're going to talk about suffering. Bright, happy, chipper. That's a, it's good, isn't it? No, this is... 
I've struggled in preparing this because I feel like this is not, this is not a, a church where, where everybody has it easy and nobody's ever suffered. You, church, this, this, fa- this church family knows about suffering. You, you know what it's like to endure. And so my first thought in, in, in having this text was what in the world could I possibly say that would be beneficial? And church, I'm so glad that, that God stopped me right there because his gospel is sufficient. More than any experience that I could have, more than anything that I could ever say, the gospel is sufficient for every season of life. It's sufficient for every person, no matter where you've been, no matter who you are, no matter what your circumstances are. The the gospel, the word of God, the gospel storybook is sufficient for you. I'm so glad that that God, in his, in his majesty and in his wisdom and in his, his love for us, he doesn't just sweep difficult topics under the rug and just keep to the bright and chipper and happy parts. Because I think that there's, no more, there's no more needed area for us in our lives where we need hope that only the gospel can provide than that of suffering. We cringe at the word. We, we avoid it whenever possible, don't we? We try to position ourselves so that we, so that we avoid even the possibility of, of affliction or of, of difficulty in this life. And because we live in a first world nation like the U.S., we, have, we really have the, the opportunity and the resources to really make a run at it, don't we? But the reality is that suffering and affliction is a part of life. It isn't something we seek out, but it does eventually happen to us in one way or another. In one, in one form and one level or another. And praise God that in our passage today, God is showing us not a way to, to make all that go away, not, not a way to suddenly flip a switch and that every, even though I'm suffering that, that I'm going to be happy now and I can put on this, this smile as if nothing is wrong. No, I don't want to rob us of, of, what, of what you may be going through. And I don't mean, I'm not, I don't say this to, to belittle what you're going through either because it is significant. And your church family, if this is you right now, your church family cares about you. And we want to stand beside you and walk with you in this. And praise God in his mercy toward us, he, he shows us yet another reason, yet another purpose for suffering and affliction in our lives today. And so my main idea is, you know, as I often do, I give you kind of a main idea and then we break that down as we go throughout our passage. The main idea is this, that God, the true source of all comfort, comforts us abundantly in all our affliction. And that's all, church, all our affliction, so that we can give his comfort to others, both for our good and for his glory. So let's take that statement apart as we walk through the passage this morning. And the first thing I want you to see, church, the first thing I want you to see is that God is the true source of all comfort. God is the true source of all comfort. Look with me at verse 3. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Let's just stop right there. God wants you to know, believer, that he is more than just merciful. Mercy is not just a, a quality or some commodity that he has somehow acquired. 
but instead he is the source. He is the source. Uh, whenever we experience mercy in this life, whenever we uh, experience kindness when we are in distress, God wants you to know that he is the true and ultimate source of it. And knowing that really should free us up to give credit where credit is due, to give him the praise and glory that belongs to him. And so we don't have to ask the question, or that at least when we ask the question of where is God in this, that we know that any mercy we receive ultimately comes from him. And this isn't news to us either, is it? We're, we're constantly asking God to give mercy to us, to, to, give mercy, to pour out mercy on someone else. How much of our prayer time, individually, corporately, is wrapped up in asking God to show mercy to his people? So here's the question, church family. The last time a door was opened for you to show mercy in daily life, how did you respond? As Galatians 6.10 says, let's be careful to do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. And, let, and as we do so, let's do so. Let's ask the Lord to help us to do so in such a way that it points others to Christ. Because again, uh, any tr because mercy truly only comes from him. Again, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. There's a direct connection in this passage between God's mercy and his comfort. Those who receive mercy from the Lord also receive the comfort that comes along with that mercy. And the word here, the word here for comfort, I don't usually do this, but the, word, the Greek word here is um, uh, parakaleosis. Parakaleosis. Does that sound familiar? It's, it sounds like the word that we sometimes use to describe the Holy Spirit. A paraclete, not parakeet, right? Not the bird that's on the shoulder, right? Not that. That was for the birds, sorry. Um, but paraclete, meaning our helper. It literally means in this way, in, in this context, it means to call alongside in order to help. What a beautiful, intimate way that God describes his interaction with us and our suffering. Think about it. When you need comforting believer, God himself, who dwells within you, calls you to look to him to, that you would receive the help you so desperately need. He is there. He is with you. Everyone wants comfort when we face difficult times. And, we, and honestly, if we're, we, we look everywhere for it. Whether it's to be distracted by the endless scroll of social media, another show to binge watch, another relationship, doctors, therapists, medica medications, and other substances, false religions. But the truth is, all those things in and of themselves, please hear me, all those things are like putting a Band-Aid on an apple and expecting it to heal the whole tree. Don't settle for something that may deal with the fruit of the problem, but doesn't get to the root of the problem. Nothing apart from Jesus Christ, from knowing him, can bring comfort that goes to the depths of our souls. He alone will supply all our needs according to his riches and mercy in Christ Jesus. So look, then, if we, as, we, as we kind of refocus our eyes from all these things that claim to try to comfort us in the world, look at how complete this comfort is that's offered to us in God. First, God is the father of all comfort. 
Second, the Spirit is our paraclete, our helper. And Jesus the Son took, on, took to himself a human nature and purchased our redemption on the cross. He, he sympathizes with our weakness because he's been there. And he continually intercedes for us as our great high, great high priest before the Lord, before the Father. What a priceless, what an eternal gift that God has given us. Just in getting to know him and getting to be with him and all that he is. So, where do you look for comfort? Do you look to something created, or do you look to the creator? And I'm not belittling, there, there are certainly things that God has created that are helpful in those, in, in those situations. But where do you look to first? My prayer is that we would look to the Lord, who has all things that he created at his disposal. And then as he leads us, as he guides us, as he directs us according to his perfect will and according to his love for us, that we will find everything that we need provided for us in him. So looking back at our main idea, God, the true source of all comfort, next, number two, confronts us or sorry, comforts us. There's a difference there, right? Comforts us abundantly in our affliction. Look at verse 4. He comforts us abundantly in our affliction. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. The word comforts there is present tense. And not to get nerdy with you about English here, but that, what does that mean when we say that something is in present tense? It means that it's there now. In the present, thus the present tense, right? It's available now. That comfort that God, that God only can provide, it is available to you here. It is available to you now. God offers that to us ever presently. He is an ever present help in time of need. Now the big temptation is for us to assume how that comfort is displayed. How that comfort is rolled out to us. What I struggle with, and I imagine you might struggle the same way, is, that, is, to, is to believe, to assume that God will comfort us by bringing us out of whatever troubles us. That he will change our situation. And sometimes, praise God, he does. Praise God that sometimes, according to his will, his perfect, wise, loving will toward us, that he does deliver us out of that. But we have to accept that though God certainly can do that, and though sometimes he does, it tends to be more the exception than the rule. It might be that in God's all-wise, sovereign, gracious plan, that you'll only see that kind of comfort when he delivers you from this body to be in eternity with him. We have to keep that on the table. But please see this. That if that's God's will, then he offers you true, eternal, overwhelming comfort in the midst of your suffering. Praise God for that. Right? And that is no less a comfort. It is very present, very real, very overwhelmingly, oversufficient for us. As, as, the, as verse 5 will tell us, it's there and it's available to you now. And now... 
and now, continuously to the end. Because the Lord has bound himself to us and he promises to walk with us. What was his promise at the end of the Great Commission? I will be with you to the end of the age. So if you or someone you know is facing a trial right now, you can certainly pray that God would deliver them from it. And there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. But should that not be his will, pray that God would give grace. That he would give grace, comfort to patiently endure. To to patiently endure through our afflictions by faith. Which is what God promises in in verse 6 of our passage. He promises that his comfort is effective for patiently enduring trials, for patiently enduring affliction. How great is that to know that whatever you're struggling with, that even if it's God's will for you to endure it, that God's grace is sufficient to get you all the way home. He desires to comfort you as his child, and, we, and all we need to do is to ask for it, But we've got to accept God's comfort in the manner in which he chooses to give it. Don't miss out on God's comfort because you're looking in the opposite direction. Trust him. Trust that his wisdom is is sure. Trust that his plan for you is good. And be willing to receive his comfort in whatever manner he chooses to give it. Whether we're, because either, whether we're immediately delivered from all our affliction or whether we patiently endure it, it's all only because of the Lord. So God, the true source of all comfort, comforts us abundantly in our, in our affliction, number three, so that we can give his comfort to others. So that we can give his comfort to others. When we face trials, we often ask the question, why? Why? And because God's sovereign, we know that whatever comes to us, has it, that it's purposeful. It has a purpose. Sometimes multiple purposes in God's wisdom. And here, God gives us a purpose for suffering that we may not have thought of, we may not have considered. Looking in at verse 4. Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Again, one reason that God allows us to experience affliction is so that we can experience his comfort. A comfort so abundant, friends, so oversufficient, according to verse 5, that we'll have enough for us and plenty besides. Plenty to give away. Plenty to wholesale pour out on other people around us. And God wants us to do exactly that. If you've experienced God's comfort in Christ then you, my friend, are equipped to comfort others. I don't want to minimalize those who have been through maybe the same thing, because again, that is a precious gift. When someone can sit down beside you and say, I've been there. What a gift that is in the Lord. However, on the flip side of that, I don't want you, if you, if you have never, maybe you think, I can't, there's no way that I can minister to that person. There's no way that I can help. There's nothing I could do because I haven't been there please hear me, that doesn't disqualify you from being a comforter. Because in that case, it's not that you've experienced the same thing necessarily, but that you have account, you've encountered the same comfort. 
Because God's comfort is sufficient for everything. And as the God of all comfort, he is what that person needs above everything else. And that's him you point to as you minister to them in his power. Not heavy-handed, not as if you have something to teach them. Let me, let me teach you here in this moment. Don't do that. But instead, gently, humbly, compassionately, coming alongside someone. And maybe just sitting there with them and saying nothing. But just being there. Or even just praying for them. Just praying for them. As if that's not effective, right? All these things are ways that we can minister to and comfort others. Look again at verse 5. For just uh, as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So now Paul grounds what came before by showing the connection between Christ and us in our suffering. It's not that Christ's suffering is lacking in any way. And please hear me this, right? As I say this, when it says, for just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, it's not that we have more sufferings than him. It's not we're trying to one-up Jesus, okay? That's not the point. But instead, it's showing identity, identification with someone, okay? We are bound to him, and so we share in his suffering. When we suffer, we identify with Christ in his suffering. Jesus suffered as he endured living as a man in a broken world, marred by sin. He was tired, he was thirsty, he was hungry, he, he experienced loneliness, he experienced all these different things. And in addition to that, he experienced the, the suffering and the persecution that was specifically his to bear for the gospel, for the, for the, for the mission that God the Father had given him. And church, we are his servants. We are his body. We are his servants. And Jesus himself said, a servant is not greater than his master. If, if Jesus suffered, if he was persecuted, if he dealt with difficulty, then so are we. And as we suffer with Christ, as abundant as that suffering may be in some cases, God promises to shower us in his abundant, oversufficient comfort. Do you see the, the parallel here? God is promising that whatever you're facing, that as we suffer with him, that he will give you comfort that is beyond and above any affliction you could ever face. Be encouraged. He is with you, and he is sufficient for you. Look now at verse 6. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. By God's grace, Paul understood that the only reason we're able to pursue Christ in the midst of, of affliction is because God himself is comforting, encouraging, and even enabling us to do so. And in that, God is also working all things, not just for our good as we suffer, but also for the good of the church. Those who love the Lord and have been called according to his purpose. So every time we have the opportunity to, to encourage, to pray for, to comfort others, we have that opportunity. How amazing is it then that God can even use our afflictions, our trials, our suffering to work out for the good of the church? And just so we're clear, 
what, what, would, what, would I, what do I deem then to be, to be good? What it, when we say that it's for our good, does that mean health, wealth, prosperity, success? The secret numbers to the lottery, you know, those kinds of things. Is that what I'm talking about? No. Over and above everything else, our greatest good is to be made more like Christ. And so rest assured that as you endure, as you, as you move forward, as you trust Christ and pursue him in this life, he is doing he, everything that happens to you, he is using to make you more like him. He is preparing your heart for glory. Because the more we become like Jesus, the more we have room to glory and enjoy Jesus above all things. He is moving distractions out of the way so that when we get there, and we see his face joy and full Psalm 16 says pleasure forever he's preparing our hearts for heaven and the product of that in, in Paul's life was that the comfort of Christ working, worked effectively in him and enabled him to patiently endure all his sufferings to the very end and God through the suffering of Paul and others like him brought the gospel to us. Because of what God did in and through people like Paul, we get to hear the gospel here today. We get to partake in knowing God and being and living with him, walking with him, being encouraged with him because God comforted others and enabled them to endure to the end. How foolish will we be then to think that our lives are just about us? We are part of his grand plan to, to send the gospel to the ends of the earth so that all who trust in Jesus will be saved. And I'm trying to keep this back. <clears throat> All right, so, verse 7. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers in our comfort. As we share in the sufferings and the comfort of Christ, look at this, how beautiful is this? Not only do we share in Christ's sufferings, but we get to share in each other as well. And trusting Jesus with your suffering, he not, only, he not only strengthens your bond with himself, but he strengthens our bonds with each other as the church. Don't miss the opportunity, the gift that God has given us in the church. We are more than just a meeting place. We are more than just the sum of our weekly programs. We are a family. We are a people that God has ransomed out of darkness into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And we get to do this together. That's why when we gather together, whether it's Wednesday night, Sunday, whether it's during the week, in the midst of your daily lives, we are the church gathering together. We get to know one another. We get to encourage one another, to push and to spur one another on. That's what God's called us to do. Young and old, single and married, wealthy and poor, those currently suffering and those not, together, for your good and for mine. We would be made more like Christ above all things. I beg you, don't waste what God intends for your good and for ours. Dig in. So God, the true source of all comfort, comforts us abundantly in all our afflictions so that we can give his comfort to others for our good. We've talked about it already a lot, it seems. Let's keep going. Verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, 
that we were burdened excessively beyond our own strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have set our hope. When someone tells us that they're despairing of life, we, we think they're probably going through something difficult, don't we? That sounds pretty bad. But this is, this is Paul we're talking about here. This is an apostle. He's out there like preaching the gospel and planting churches and stuff. Why would, how could God allow something like this to happen to a Christian like him? Because he's a Christian just like everybody else. And yes, God allowed that to happen to him. And, and in fact, that's the very reason for this letter. Did you know the reason that 2 Corinthians exists is because while Paul had planted this church and had gone away and was out planting other churches, false teachers crept in. And they started undermining Paul. Corinth was a town with a lot of teachers, a lot of speakers, usually self-help kind of stuff, which completely, in this case, is, is undercutting the gospel. And so these people said, you know, look at us. We're so prosperous. We're so, we speak so well. We, are, we, have, we have wealth and all these things. How could what Paul says be true? Look at him. He's suffering. He was shipwrecked. He's been, he's been beaten. He's been claimed to be stoned to death and then rose. I mean, how did, how did this happen? Look at all these different things. How is this possible? There's no way that what he says could be true. God is surely punishing him. God is surely pouring out his wrath on him. You're better off listening to people like us. And the majority of the church was led away. And so Paul after visiting, now is writing them again because he's heard that the church has repented. Mostly, there's still some that are holding out. And the problem, the, the thing that scares Paul, that, that, that concerns him above all things, is that Paul is the one that brought them the gospel. And for, to reject Paul's gospel at this point means you're rejecting Christ altogether. And so Paul writes, Paul writes, Arguing that the weakness, his weakness as an apostle was the very means by which other people were comforted. That God himself, Jesus, that he revealed himself to the world in weakness. Not in strength, not in display, born in a manger. Homeless. Suffered and died as a criminal. He was revealed to the world in weakness. Paul's sufferings then embodied the cross of Christ and his, his thankful, content endurance in affliction wasn't because Paul was great. Paul would be the first one to point that out. Instead, it shows the Spirit's resurrection power at work. It's not about Paul, it's about Christ. And so then Paul's suffering didn't hinder the gospel. It was the very means by which God used to advance it. And it proves that his gospel is true and is worthy of our devotion. Not Paul, but the gospel. You're welcome, by the way, for the, the survey of 2 Corinthians we just went through. You can pay me on the way out the door. Um, and look at what God, look at what God did, worked in Paul as he gives this snapshot of us, uh, for, for us, of what happened in Asia, this Roman province of Asia. Listen to what Paul says that, that God did in his heart. Listen. Look at verse 9. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, 
but in God who raises the dead. One reason that God allowed Paul to suffer in Asia was so that he wouldn't trust in himself but in God. More than you need your situation to change, more than you need all the pain and all the suffering to go away, you need for your hope and your trust to rest in Jesus Christ. That is our primary spiritual need above anything else. Because your life, your health, your relationships, your stuff, they are not able to carry your hope. They can't. They weren't designed to. They will break and they will fail every time you let your hope rest on them. You will be let down over and over again. Oh, but in Christ, in Jesus, you will be satisfied. He is unfailing. Because you see, church, we were made to cling to Christ like a belt is made to cling to your waist. Justin McRoberts, the songwriter, said, you know, these arms were, were formed to hold you. They were fitted to your shape. Augustine, Augustine said, you know, our hearts, are, you made us for yourselves. And it, we are, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And at the end of verse 9, Paul says, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You know, medical technology allows doctors to do things today that were impossible just a few short years ago. But there is a day that God has fixed when, when each one of us will die. And we can't escape this. And I know that sounds really bleak. But I want you, let's just pause for a second and look at the flip side of that coin. Think about this. Yes, there is a day fixed when each of us will die. But until that day comes, just like with Paul, God will deliver us again and again until his purposes are accomplished. Do you hear this, church? You cannot die until God is finished with you. You are, I, I, I tremble at saying this, but you are effectively immortal until the Lord's purposes with you are finished. Don't go trying the Lord, right? Not even Jesus jumped off the temple, right? He said, don't put the Lord to the test. But, in, but know that as, if, as God has a mission for us, he will give you everything you need, including life, until it's done. What can stand in our way then? If suffering, the very thing that Satan intended to destroy the church in Acts, is the very thing that God uses to advance the gospel to the end, then what is there that's going to get in our way? We can trust him, can't we? How many times has the Lord provided for you? How many times has the Lord saved you? How many times have there been close calls? A truck goes by that you just, you didn't even realize it was coming. How many near misses? How many things that we don't even know about? He is working all around us. And all of it is the Lord's mercy. And when he's done Oh, church, when, we're, when he's done, when he's finished, when his plan for us is accomplished, then we get the ultimate comfort. We get to be with him forever in heaven where sorrow and suffering are gone, and we'll see his face. All those who have died, all those who have died before in Christ, we don't have to worry about them, do we? We know that they died, they went to be with Jesus right on schedule. They didn't get robbed. We weren't robbed of them before their time. They are with him. 
And they get to be with him, comforted in him forever. So now look again at the, at the end of verse 10. And yet he will deliver us. You also joining us in helping, um, helping through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Look at the prominent role that's given to prayer here. Now, uh, we've, we've talked about prayer already, but prayer is such a powerful tool that God has given us. God promises that the effective prayer of a righteous man can... Uh, can affect much, right? James 5, 16. I think of Elijah praying and the rain stopped for 40 days. And then he prayed again and and the rain started again. Prayer. According to God's will, filtered through his will, but yes, prayer. I think of of Peter in prison in Acts 12. The church prays for him and guess what? Heavenly Express delivered right right to their door. It's amazing, right? We talked about that on Wednesday nights recently. But also, I, I think about how the church prayed in the midst of persecution. The, the, the apostle j- had just been delivered in Acts, 5, or Acts 4 from the Sanhedrin. They had been beaten. They left. To, uh, this is where they leave rejoicing. They've been considered worthy of suffering disgrace for Jesus' name. They get together and they pray. And they pray and they ask the Lord, Lord, look upon their threats and do what? Deliver us from them. No. Give us boldness to speak your word without fear. And Revelation shows us, the book of Revelation shows us the fruit of that prayer. Where we see a crowd too large to number from every tribe and every language reconciled to God and worshiping him in his presence in heaven. Prayer is such a powerful tool, church, and yet it's one that we so often neglect, isn't it? From the needs of those around us to the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth, maybe we have not yet because we do not ask how encouraging then please i don't i don't want to leave you there how encouraging is it then that prayer is not something that we earn with him but that prayer is a gift unearned undeserved access to the king we have it now in christ so god the true source of all comfort comforts us abundantly in our affliction so that we can give his comfort to others both for our good and for his glory Verse 11 says, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. When the churches have prayed for Paul and his affliction, then God answered that prayer and their response then was what? They responded. Everyone that knew about what was going on, everyone that was praying for him responded in thanks and praise. Praise on Paul's behalf for the mercy and comfort God had poured out on him. The Lord is pleased to honor the prayers of his saints because he delights in being praised and thanked for his mercy. And if that seems a little vain or a little self-seeking of God, then I would ask you, who else is qualified to receive that thanks and that, that praise? He is the God of all mercy. He is the God of all comfort. Every good and perfect thing comes down from him. All glory and honor and thanks and praise be to God of the Bible for his overwhelming, never-ending mercy and grace. Oh, and just, just for fun here, let's look back at verse 3 for a second. Verse 3, the passage starts out with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, all this, of course, is Paul instructing, and he's, 
he's updating them on how he's doing and all these things. But yes, this is also Paul praising and thanking God. Blessed be him. He's thanking him for the mercy and comfort that Paul had personally experienced. So that he was to the degree that he is already trusting him, right? He says, and yet again, he will deliver us. He's, he's delivered me before, and as long as he has a mission for me, I know he will deliver me again. Even if he doesn't, then he delivers me to be with him in heaven. What, what do I have to lose? And here's my question. Well, sorry, we started, we started out this morning in the church acknowledging that suffering is a part of life, one that we can't escape. But God shows us in his word here today at least one more reason why we endure suffering and why it doesn't seem to go sometimes the way that we hope. That he, the true source of all comfort, comforts us in our affliction so that we can give abundant comfort to others, both for our good and for his glory. And my question to you, church family, is this. Are you taking that word to heart today? Are you and I focusing our minds and our hearts upon him are we agreeing with him that even our afflictions and our trials have a, have a good purpose in his hands? Because if we are, then we might just see this whole thing, this whole understanding that we have about suffering. We might see it change from valleys of darkness to a doorway of hope. Not necessarily that God will change our situation, but that he'll change us in the midst of it. For our ultimate good, being made more like Christ. And if you're here today and you're looking everywhere else for comfort because you don't know Jesus, you don't know the comfort that he offers, then I have to tell you, this: we can sometimes get in trouble when we talk a lot about things that are available to believers but, and, and not clarify for people that don't know Christ that this comfort we've talked about today is not for you. It's not for you if you're not in Christ, but it could be. Because this God of all comfort is also the just and gracious creator of all things, who looked upon us, his hopelessly sinful creation, who rebelled against him as king and rightly deserved his wrath. And what did he do? He sent his son. He gave us his son, Jesus Christ, the God-man. Lived a perfect life, earning, uh, putting his righteousness in our place. And he died uh, in our place on the cross. God put his wrath upon Jesus on the cross and showed his power over death and the resurrection so that all, including you, who turned to Jesus, turn from sin and trust in Jesus, will be reconciled to God forever. That comfort can be yours today, and more so by trusting in Jesus Christ. More than just comforting, the God of the Bible who created you offers you the ultimate comfort, redemption from sin and eternity with him, starting here and now. Let's pray together. Lord, you are the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Thank you for, for comforting us so incredibly in all our afflictions. Please lead us and help us to humbly, lovingly come alongside those that are suffering and to comfort them with the comfort that you've so abundantly given us. Help us to, to understand in another way that you're working in the midst of our suffering when we face it. Father, thank you that you give us this comfort that is so abundant. Help us to trust you in the midst. And Father, for those that are struggling even right now, Lord, I pray that you would, I pray that you would deliver them from this. And God, we would, that your glory may be seen in your, 
your worth and your power may be displayed in delivering them from this. But Lord, if it's not your will, then I pray that your glory would be seen in, in enabling these dear ones to, in, to endure. Lord, help us as a church to rally around each other, to be a part of one another's lives, not just seeing each other on Sundays. Lord, a family that does life together daily. And Father, for those who in this room today who or online later on that don't know your comfort because they don't know you, Lord, please save them. Please save them that as they go through this life that they would know you, the treasure of the universe, and that they would live to make you known. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.